being here. It is, uh, I've got a lot to cover today. We have been working our way through the book of Joshua, and it has been truly, for me, uh, it has been an incredible, incredible journey. But we're going to pick back up. I'm going to give you an, uh, an update on where we were last week, just in case you have forgotten. Uh, this whole series is called The Way of Escape. This is our walk through the book of Joshua. And last week, the Lord showed us or this entire thing. This last message last week was called The Way of Escape. And what we saw was we really saw a comparison where God was revealing himself through the cities of refuge that he had put in place in, 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 in Israel's new land. So they were to establish three inside of Canaan. They were established to establish three outside on the other side of the Jordan. These were to be places of refuge for individuals who had accidentally killed someone. Now understand, in the culture of this day, this was a uh, uh, something that was done. This was a, um, a death penalty attached to taking human life. So there was, by law, a standard where there was an individual who was a member of the family that had lost the family member. This person would be assigned to actually go and avenge the life of the person whose life was taken. They were called the avenger of blood. And what we saw was the fact that this was the law of the day, but at the same time, if it was an accidental death, God put something in place to protect that person who had made that, made that mistake. And we saw a parallel of himself. We saw a parallel of God in each of these six, six cities. And what we saw was we saw the fact that it was very specific in calling them cities of refuge. It kept using the word refuge. And if we track through the word refuge in scripture, it shows up 46 different times in the King James Bible. And of those 46 times, most of those times, if it's not describing these cities of refuge, it's actually talking about God himself, representing himself as a refuge. Psalm 91 2 says this, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust? And then what we do is we considered the instructions that God had given Moses. Moses was given the instructions about these refuge cities back in Numbers 35 before they ever got to this point. Joshua was now instigating and put into place what it was that they were instructed through Moses. And what we saw was a great parallel between what Moses was taught and what you and I are taught in the Word of God. What we saw, the refuge cities were in place to make certain that there was a way of escape for those who had made an unfortunate mistake. And what we saw is the fact that God, many times in this circumstance, did not want them to just go out and kill this person who'd made a mistake. They didn't, even though that was by law, they could have done it. God wanted to show mercy. He wanted to offer grace. And what we saw was this incredible thing where God's saying, hey, listen, I don't want you to make a decision based upon the emotion of the moment and go out and strike this person down. What I want you to do is do what my will is, which is I want to make sure that justice is done. God is always of justice. So what we saw was this correlation between doing God's will according to God's will instead of doing it according to emotion. And what we find is the fact that for you and I, God does the same thing. When we go to the, we look in the book of Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, it says, you know what? This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's saying, listen, you got to be careful to make sure that you follow the spirit because if you don't, guess what your emotions are going to get you to do? Fall into sin. We're going to do things that we should not do. How many of us have ever said or done something in anger that we regret? So easy to do, but when we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We then noted the importance of repentance, and we looked at what repentance is. Repentance simply means to turn. We're going to turn away from a direction that we were going, and what we looked at, we recognized the fact that, listen, in order for this person to seek refuge, they had to come to the realization that they had done something wrong. They had to take accountability for what it was they had done, and in order to seek refuge, they had to turn from their previous life, be willing to let leave everything behind, and run to this city of refuge and we recognized and correlated this to what it means for salvation 
Because understand, works, it, it, you know, some people will try to attach repentance as if it's a work unto salvation, but it's nothing more than an act that brings us to the place of salvation. How do you get into the refugee city or to the refuge city? You've got to be willing to turn from your previous life, give it up, and go and say, listen, this is what I'm choosing for my future. In order to receive Christ, we must come to the realization that we turn from the world in order to receive him. And we recognize the fact that this cities of refuge, this was for, for them, it was a physical protection from a physical death. But for us, the correlation to Christ is the fact that, guess what? It is a picture of spiritual, spiritual death, protection from spiritual death. So God is our refuge. It's a very, there's a parallel between the two throughout, no doubt about it. But one is physical, where one is spiritual. And so what we'll do is we pick back up in verse number, or in chapter 20, in verses four through six, is we're gonna continue with the same parallel. Again, the exact same picture that we see in the cities of refuge, we're gonna see in Christ again. But what we're going before, we were talking about what the cities were and sort of defining them for us. Now we're gonna understand how it is they work, how it is they were to, how they were to function. And we'll see the parallel between the cities of refuge and our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we'll see is that in order to come to either one, first of all, it will take honesty and transparency. And if this is how they come, then listen, he will receive them with open arms, or they will be received with open arms. We'll see that they'll experience safety and rest. We'll see that they'll witness justice fulfilled, and that they'll have their slates wiped clean. Praise God. In our message this morning, which is entitled, An Old Life Made New. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this gift of the time that we get to spend around your word. Uh, Lord, you have been so, so, so good to this little church. God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the people that you've brought here, for the lives that you've changed. Uh, for those we've seen redeemed and restored, and God, how we've seen you actively change the course of so many. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Lord, we do pray for today. Uh, God, I'd ask that you'd be in the midst. Lord, already uh, there's a distraction in having to use this silly handheld microphone, but it is what it is. But Lord, you know what? There's a, there's a really good chance I can get in the way. And Lord, I know you have spoken to me. I am absolutely confident that you've given me exactly what it is that I'm supposed to relay. But Lord, I would ask that you would help me just simply remove the human element, uh, the awkwardness, and the dumb things that I may say, God, would you just please, would you take them out? Uh, Lord, would you simply let your spirit work today? Lord, not only in my heart that I might share what you would have me to share, but Lord, also in the hearts of those that would receive it. Uh, God, that we would hear what you want us to hear, and God, that we would be changed uh, through your word, and that God, our lives might make a difference in this world. It's why we are here. So God, let us have ears to hear. Lord, be in the midst of all that's done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Joshua chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. It says in verse number 4, it says, and when, he had the, and, when he, and when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation of judgment and until the death of the high priest that, he, that, that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city and unto his own house and unto the city from whence he fled. So we see in this passage that this is a transition over from what the cities are from verses 1 through 3 into how it is that they are to function, to protect them from making a tragic this is a tragic situation, and God wants to make certain that it's handled according to what he believes is best. So God, again, is the one that instituted these refuge cities, refuge, refugee cities. 
And what we see here is the one that's guilty of shedding innocent blood when they come for the refuge. What we see is there's going to be a requirement that they're going to, to be they're going to need to be honest, and they're going to need to be transparent. This is about them sharing their story. Verse number four says this. And when he had doth, and when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city. What you have to know is the fact that the gates of every one of the cities, these these cities of, of Israel, and this was across the across the world at this time, there were those that were considered to be the leaders in the community. Those individuals uh, would be gathered at the gates. Okay, this was some place where they would just congregate. This was an location. And what we found is these would be men that had influence. These were men that were entrusted to make good, wise, discerning decisions for the people. Now, what we see is the fact there's an example in Scripture that's a rather sad example. We actually see in Genesis 19, Lot. Now, remember, Lot had set his heart on Sodom and Gomorrah. He had fallen in love with that place. And you know what? Eventually, over a period of time, he actually was one of the men sitting at the gates of Sodom. Sodom 19.1 says this, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. So Lot had so integrated himself into the sinful society that existed in Sodom that he was literally one of their elders. He was a representative of this sinful city. How sad. We all think, you know what? The Bible talks about the uh, about Lot's uh, righteous soul. Talks about that he was vexed. You know what? He went there, and you know what? Initially, he wasn't like that. But guess what? That society, after he spent a long enough time there, guess what? He adapted to fit the society instead of having to adapt. And that's what many times happens to us. The society around us, we think we're going to impact it. We think that we're this island that can stand strong. But you know what? Over time, it starts to influence us. Next thing you know, things we used to not be okay with. We're okay with, that's not part of my message, but that's just a little warning for all of us. So, unlike Sodom, what we find is these Levitical cities, the men that are going to be at the gates of these Levitical cities are going to be priests. These are men who are walking with God. And so when the slayer arrives at the gate, what's going to happen? They're going to be speaking to men of God. These men have spiritual discernment. They're going to listen to the story, but understand, not only are they going to listen to the story and what's being said, but they're also going to be looking at the individual who's sharing this story. They are making biblical discernment or understanding what's going on. This person's pleading their case. This is this is what happened. This is the circumstances. And we see this is how it is that God expects us to come to him. Right? We need to plead our case before the Lord. We saw last week it was a whole thing about accountability, right? What was important was the fact that they had to come to the recognition that they had done something wrong, and because they recognized that there was something wrong, they knew they had to seek refuge. The thing is, if someone does not realize that they are lost, guess what? They are not going to seek a Savior. This is absolutely key because there are people that say they believe in God and yet hold themselves as if they think they're a good person. You can ask a lot of people out in the world, and you know what? Are you a good person? They'd say, sure. Now, all of us, if you ask if we're good people at our core, what would we all agree? We're not, right? We know we are sinners by nature, but unfortunately, the world has lied to people and told them that they're good. But what we find is the fact that this is when that accountability comes and the recognition of sin brings us to a place where we say, you know what, I need refuge. It is that recognition that brought them to the city. And in order to find refuge, they needed to own what it was that they had done. Not only just knowing that something bad had happened, but saying, hey, you know what, I'm accountable. I'm accountable. I'm going to be transparent. This is key 
when we come to the Lord. It is all about humility. It's about submission. It's about being, about being transparent to come to the Lord for refuge. Now, whether or not this is for salvation or if it's just in regards to finding refuge from a storm in life. How many of us sometimes, man, life is just hammering you every which way but loose, and you're like, look, I just need to find some solid ground to stand on because I just feel like I just can't. I just can't handle this anymore. And we find ourselves falling before the Lord. And you know what he does? He gathers us up. But whether it's for salvation or for that kind of refuge, James 4, verses 7 through 10 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now, this part here, many people read this, and they don't know necessarily what it's saying. It says, be afflicted and mourn and weep, okay? What it's talking about is now when I've come to the realization of what it is that I've done, and it weighs on me, now where I used to be able to live and not worry about it, now suddenly, you know what? Golly, I feel this great sense of, of, of responsibility is weighing on my heart. And notice that he says, and he says, and let your laughter be turned to mourning. What it's saying is the very things that you used to be able to just laugh off, and it wasn't a big deal, and you didn't care, well, now suddenly, wow. That means something. You know, that, that dirty joke that I used to hear at work that I'd laugh and chuckle right along with my buddies. Now, you know what? The closer I walk with God, the, less, the more that thing hurts me. And you know what? I'm sorry I ever had the attitude to even hear that. And it says, in your joy to heaviness, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humble yourselves. Become transparent before God. In order to come to the Lord, we must do it in honesty and transparency, meaning that we drop our defenses we let our facades fall away because we all have facades. What is Facebook? It is a facade book. That's what it is. It's all about appearances. And we all craft an appearance that we like to show to the world. But the whole thing is, like I've said many times, if it was heart book, it would not be nearly as popular. You wouldn't be so excited about going on and popping on there and typing out what you're, what? You wouldn't. But the whole thing is, so many times we're so focused on that outward. And God's saying, listen, drop all that stuff. Get real with me. Because listen, God already knows our hearts. He already knows what's going on. So as opposed to trying to, to put on a, a, a brave face, just get real. Jeremiah 17, 10 says this. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. I, the Lord, search the heart. And so what happens many times, our pride causes us not to get real with God. Or maybe we just don't want to come to the realization of what it is that we've done. Because sometimes, you know what, it's easier just to kind of pretend we haven't. It's pretend or to pretend that our that things have not taken place or we haven't done, we've done. We just want to move on. We want to distract ourselves in life. Are you guys okay? Y'all are extremely quiet today, so I'm just, you're making me nervous. I feel like somebody's going to jump up and attack me. Um, but the point, <laughs> the point is this, right? What, we have to get right and get real and get honest with the Lord. Because unfortunately, many times we fool ourselves. We deceive ourselves. It says, you know, the thing is, even though God knows all the intricacies of our story, he still wants to hear it from us. For when we voice what we have done and stand accountable for it before our sin, guess what? It's like music to God's ears. It's the humbling that brings us to him. It's that humility of us that puts us in a place where we're willing, where God can receive us. Because the pride is the thing that keeps us away from God, where humility brings us to a place where God says, hey, listen, this is what I'm looking for. Right? I want to receive you in this. Because our pride is the very thing that separates us from God. It's the very thing that divides us in the relationship that God intends to have with us. He wants to have a love relationship with us. He wants to have an intimacy with us. 
He wants to have a closeness, a realness, a, a, a transparency to where, man, you know what? I don't have anything between he and I. I've laid it all out there. He's heard my whole case, and you know what? He has lovingly accepted me even though I'm a mess. You ever see people or meet people, and you know they're not really who they pretend to be? Because they're so afraid that you're going to judge them. Because you know why they've been judged. And so why many times we don't let people see who we really are. Because you know what? That vulnerability is a dangerous thing. But understand, if this church is doing what it's supposed to do, and if we're functioning as the body should function, you should be able to be honest and real. If you've got relationships and friendships, man, you know what the beautiful thing is? We can support one another. We can help each other. Because guess what? When many times we think we're the only ones going through something, but can I promise you, there are people sitting right beside you right now that are going things maybe even worse than what you're dealing with. And instead of going through it like thinking that you're all by yourself, man, realize the fact that, listen, the body's here to support one another. We work together. We care for one another. We love each other. We're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this community. So don't miss out on the opportunity you have to have people here invest in your life. But again, it's that relationship. What, what God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear our hearts. Listen to Psalm 66, verse 17 through 20. He says, I cried unto him with my voice, and he was extolled. Extolled means glorified. He was glorified with my tongue. Okay, so listen, I'm going to come to him with an honest heart, because listen to the next part. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay? So I'm living a lie. I'm not getting honest, and God says, hey, I don't have time for this. But get real. Hey, but verily God hath heard me. Get real, and he that and he hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Boy, the refuge is available. I come in honesty, and man, God's there to gather me up. And that is what's being displayed in these priests. They stand ready, recognize they stand ready to offer refuge to those who will come in honesty and to lay out their story before them. Now, in order to find it, again, they've got to be real, they've got to be honest. And they come to these priests. These priests are the gatekeepers of the city. They're the ones that authorize that refugee to come in. Now, they have gatekeepers. They have people between them and this relationship with God. And what we find many times is the fact that, guess what? These were, they were mediators, right? They were mediators between God and men. And what you and I, when we go, we don't go to a gatekeeper, a man, a person, an individual, a priest sitting in some room somewhere. No, we go directly to the source. Because understand, our gatekeeper is the Lord Jesus Christ. We go directly to the source. When we pray, when we get right, we're talking to God himself. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Our loving Savior, man, he hears every word of our story, and he cares about it, man. He cares about it. He loves us. He's right in the midst of where we are at our most broken moments. He's going, I got ears to hear. I don't care what you've done, but if you'll get humble and you get real with me, man, I'm right here. I'm in the darkest pit. I'm in the muddiest muck. I'm right there with you. You just cry out to me. That's why he went to the cross for sins that he never committed, because of his love for you and I. And then once we've humbled ourselves, admitted our failures, and asked for his mercy, well, that's exactly what we receive. How many of us have experienced the fact that, man, you know what? You think that no one could possibly forgive you because you've done something so bad, and you finally just cry out to God, and he's like, I'm here. Love you. I love you. Restored relationship. And suddenly, that condemnation that we hear from the enemy who tells us we are not worthy, God comes along and says, you know what? I made you perfect. 
and I love you exactly as you are. And one day, if you'll let me, I'll use this mess that you made. I'll use it for my glory. And you'll recognize it with new eyes one day. And what you think is the worst day of your life, one day you're going to look back and go, man, that was one of the greatest transitions that took place in my whole life. How amazing. It's incredible. Again, it's all that thing. We go back to that opportunities or obstacles. And what we find is the fact that this uh, brings us to our second point, which is that after the guilty party shares their story from a place of honesty and transparency, then they will be received with open arms. Verse 4 says this, they shall take they shall take him unto take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he will dwell that he may dwell among them upon hearing the story of the slayer the levitical elders would welcome them into the city they're not only offering protection recognized but they're also providing provision as well this person literally becomes a part of the population of this holy city living in and among the priests now we can only imagine if you've come and you never lived around the priests, now these cities are just priests and their wives and their families. So these are Levitical cities. Can you imagine the impression that the testimony of all these godly people being around you, you're suddenly living in and among them, and now you're looking at the way they live at life? You're looking at how they do what they do? Recognize all these Levitical priests, they have the same responsibilities to care for their families. They have the daily things that they've got to do, but there's a different connotation. There's a different um, a sense of priority with what they do. Because what we know is the fact that, yes, they are living and working in these cities, but at the same time, unlike the rest of the Israelites, they do not have an inheritance. They're not building up for things on the earth because none of this city is theirs. They're only allowed to live in it. So they're not focused on the possessions. They're focused on a relationship with the Lord. So it's a different priority. Imagine the impact this would have. Joshua eighteen seven. last week we saw this. It says, but the Levites... Have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And so the focus of the population of this Levitical cities, these Levitical cities, would have been much, much more spiritual than what they would have been accustomed to be around with their brethren. And we can experience, listen, when we experience refuge in Christ, the Lord will bring godly people to have an influence in our lives. There will be people that you'll have a, a chance to talk with and you'll never would have met otherwise. But now because of this new relationship, this new refuge that, you, uh, that we find in Christ, we become a part of a church, right? Now there's two aspects of church. There's two definitions. There's the, the church as a whole, which is the global entity, the one that's all believers of all time, right? That's the, the whole. But then there's the local church. And see, that's what, like what we are right here today. So God established this church in 2017, April of 2017. This local church was established. And then God started to bring all of you folks from different places. We all have different stories, different experiences. And God gathered us up together because there's a job to be done. And what we find with the local church is, guess what? It's an opportunity for not only for God to be seen, but it's also an opportunity for the community or for us to reach and touch our community, right? Again, there is a purpose that God's given every single individual in Christ. Our purpose is to share the Great Commission, right? We're supposed to share the Word of God with the world, and the vehicle that God created to do that very thing is the local church. It's why we exist. So when you come here, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you know what? I mean, I can, I don't need to go to church to worship God. You're right. You don't need it. You can be up on a mountaintop. You can be wherever you want to be, and you can worship God. Absolutely. But in order to fulfill what God created you for, which is to reach this world, you have to be a part of a local church. You've got to be being challenged. You've got to be supported. But also, you've got to be in a situation where your talents, abilities, and skills can be used. 
Because recognize, this it's all about God using our lives. And we work together in order to do it. Some of you guys can play the flute. And I could not play that thing if you gave it to me and gave me 100 years. It would just be, I don't even know what it would be. It would be horrible. So there's talents and abilities that exist. I couldn't, that violin, there's, there's no way. But the thing is, God brought us, and if we'll apply each of our talents, abilities, and skills, then guess what? We become a balanced group that has an impression and has a larger impact than if it's just one individual. This is why it's important to be a part of, of the local church. God intends for us to reach the lost world. Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 27, Paul makes a, an analogy, and he ties and connects us to the human body. And he describes the church, and he starts talking about the hands and the feet and the tongue and the eyes and all this stuff, right? So our hands have a special ability, right? We can write, write with our hands. Well, let's say if you try to write with your ear. Can you imagine writing a letter with your ear? Tucking a pen up here, taping it to your ear, and just doing your best to write? It'd be very inefficient. So if this, job, if this does not do its job, then another part has to take up the slack. So there are things that you can do that maybe I might be able to compensate and try to do it, but I can't do it nearly as well. There's people that you're intended to reach, but guess what? You don't, so guess what? Other people have to. So what we see is the fact that the body, if, it all, if everybody does their part, everybody fulfills their role, not that one has to be stronger or better. No, they all work together and just simply fulfill their part. And guess what? If they will, the church will be exactly what it intended to be. It is a place where we will see people restored. This is The local church is a place for restoration, for education, and evangelization. We're, uh, we're to be the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ to this broken world. And when I considered this picture that God's showing us in these Levitical priests, what it made me think of is the prodigal son. It made me think of this restoration, right? Here's a, a son who's gone off and he's made a mess. And what we see is this incredible picture of restoration, an incredible picture of forgiveness, a beautiful illustration of what the church should be. Because guess what? There are people out in this community they don't know anything about God. They have lived and believed a lie, and man, they have suffered many times of their own making, but still at the same time, life has been horrible to them. And they don't know how to walk with God, and they don't know what it means to be restored, and they don't know what it is to trust. They don't know what it is to, to invest in others. They become selfish because the world has beat them up. And what we see is this is a picture with the prodigal father receiving his son back to him. It is an incredible picture of forgiveness and healing. Luke 4, 15, verse 24 says this, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, restoring the broken. We go to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now notice this in Galatians 6. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, it does not say if you just, because what happened is many people think this is just church members. Like it's just a church member who's fallen. No, notice this. Talking, he's talking to church members, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall. A person is broken by life. They've made terrible choices. Their life is a wreck. Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. He's saying, hey, listen, you got to be careful. In this circumstance, you can look at people on the outside of this world, someone who's caught up in whatever sin it may be, and it can be very easy for you to go look at their life. And you can judge them. He says in a spirit of meekness, that means you have power, but you choose not to use it. So I could look at somebody who's in a broken state, and I may be better off than they, and man, I'm in a position where I could nail them, man. I could, I could really lay into them. And he says, no, 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 no. Control that urge. Because you know what? You can also be tempted. And what he's talking about, that you also be tempted, he's talking about them, they're in sin. He says, you can fall into sin too, because guess what? Next thing you know, you'll be judging that person. 
Do not judge. What's the next part? Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christ reaches out to the world. Jesus, when he dies on the cross, he's looking at the planet, man, for God so loved the world. So the worst sinners in the world, guess what? God loves them too. And it's easy for us to look at the worst sinners in the world, the people on society, the people that are in line at Walmart with you, and they just frustrate you to death, and man, you want to oh, let them have it. But you know what? God's saying, hey, you know what? Even they. I love even them. I died for, for even them. And guess what your job is? Your job. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, that's you and me, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ is our life touching the lives of others with the love of God. We've got to be careful because temptation that temptation to judgment is very, very easy to fall prey to it. This is what's pictured for us in Joshua 20. Again, we see the parallel between the cities and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the local church is functioning as God intended for it to be, listen, noth it is nothing more than an extension of God's love. This is why we are here. Listen, where in him and in his church, those that come will reach our third point, which is this, experience safety and rest. Verse 5 says this, And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. It is much harder to do this with one hand, I'm just telling you. All right. And so, even if the avenger of blood comes to the city demanding his right by law, which is to take the life of the one that killed his loved one, I want you to notice that the elders will not comply. They don't comply. They don't fall through. It says, though, even though uh, their new resident has done what is worthy of death while inside of the refuge, he will not have to face his penalty. By God's grace, the Lord has extended a refuge to him. And by faith, he has come to that refuge. He has pleaded his case, and now he's entered into God's rest with a beautiful parallel of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who, like the prodigal's father, stands with his arms wide open. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? This is the heart of God, and it's all about restoration. this come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for i am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls rest how many folks out there man how many, how many people need rest man you ever just feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders i want you to know it's by choice because the Lord does not intend for us to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. Listen to Peter's counsel from 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Notice verse 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And they go, okay. Now, that sounds awesome. Love it. Great. Cast your care upon me, for I careth for you. That sounds wonderful. If I've got this, and I'm going to cast this, right? I can hand it or I can cast it. In order to cast it, what do I have to do? Let it go, right? So I no longer have control of it. I'm letting it go. And Jesus is saying, listen, cast your care. 
throw it to me so you no longer have control over it and let me let me worry about it right and this is the issue in order to cast let things go and then once we let it go what are we supposed to do well according to the lord he says this take his yoke upon us supposed to learn of him for he is meek and lowly in, in heart so we're supposed to focus our attention all of our efforts, all of our energy is supposed to be focused on our relationship with God while at the same time we are doing what life requires of us. This does not mean when you cast a care upon God, doesn't mean you go, okay, God, my rent is coming. I'm going to get in my bed and I'm going to curl up with a blanket and I'm going to sleep for 30 days. And God, will you take care of my rent? Cast it upon you. No, that's not how it works. You continue to do what God's expectation of you, right? We're, again, our job is to be a part of this world. Every part of our interactions ultimately has a long-term impact on the people's lives touch. So the way adversity comes and impacts us, guess what? People are watching. The way blessings come, people are watching. The way we interact in frustration, people are watching. It's impacting every single person around us. So while we are doing the things that were expected of us, we're functioning in this world, we're doing it with a different heart. And this is where it goes back, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. So here we go. We're casting it to God. We're focusing on following our relationship with him. We're doing what's expected of us. And verse number 23 says this, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Okay. So while I am paying my bills, doing these things, working, showing up at work, I'm doing it not for me, not to pay my rent. I'm doing it for the glory of God. And if I will do it for that reason, God says, listen, I'll take the weight off of you and I'll start to bless in so many ways that you don't even understand. Knowing this, it says, knowing that of the Lord Jesus, he says, knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. We don't do what we do for the sake of ourself. We don't do it for the sake of even the, our neighbor. We ultimately, if we're doing it for the glory of God, guess what? God's going to use it in a miraculous way. And so what happens? Again, Jesus states it this way in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 6, 30. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Focus on that relationship and his righteousness and all these things. These are the day-to-day -day issues of life. They shall be added unto you. God says this stuff that you spend all your time focused on, if you'll focus your attention on me, guess what? I'll fight many of those battles. You'll never even know they were there. But if we're not, if we're focused just upon the world, right? That's what he says. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, right? And that word affection is very important. Because the Bible talks about the love of money as the root of all evil. It's all about affections. If my heart is in love with God, and I'm doing what I'm doing on this earth, but my heart's here, man, God says, hey, I'll take care of a lot of stuff you don't need to worry about. But if you start to fall in love with this world, and you start to turn your back on me, guess what? I'm going to let you go through some stuff. I'm going to let you go through some stuff. And you know what? It's all for our good. God's trying to bring us, bring us back to him. So, again, is this our orientation? Is this the way we think? Is truly God our first priority? If he was, we would experience safety and rest, not based upon our circumstances, but based upon the one who is with us in the midst of our circumstances. This is key. Remember what Psalm 91.2 said. I will say of the Lord, he is my, notice this, my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust a personal God who walks with us, to whatever we face. He is our refuge. And when he is our refuge, listen, our eyes will be open and we'll start to recognize and see his miraculous hand, his miraculous hand at work on our behalf in all areas of our lives. You ever sometimes just stop and start to think about your blessings and you start to see the fact that God's working all around you and you're like, whoa, 
How did I not see this before? Because we could consume with self. But man, when you start to pay attention, you know what? We start to recognize and see things we didn't see before. And one of the things we'll see is this. We'll witness justice fulfilled. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation of, uh, for judgment. And until the death of the high priest, that shall be in those days. And so we go to Numbers chapter number 35. And this gives us all the parameters about what's happening here with these, these cities of refuge. And what we find out is the fact that this, this refugee, their stay in the city is delineated for us. Or it's laid out for us in Numbers 35. And what's happened? They've left everything behind. They're now living in this refuge. And what we find is the fact that they'll have two or three witnesses. Again, they're going to stand for judgment. Okay? The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the truth shall be established. This comes from Deuteronomy 19 verse 15. And we find this, and we see it again reiterated in the New Testament as well. But what we find is the fact that, listen, there are these, these, um, these uh, what do you call them, witnesses. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the truth will be established. So either this person is found innocent, or if there are not two or three witnesses that can be found so they can establish this, either way, they're going to wait until the death of the high priest before they're going to be able to get to leave this refugee city. And what we find in Numbers 35, 28 reiterates this for us. This is because... He should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. And so freedom is attained through the death of the high priest. Now, what's important to know is who the high priest is. Who is a high priest? What do they do? The high priest is literally the representative to all of Israel. This was a man that was specifically chosen. He would be the guy that would be making the, the harrowing journey beyond the veil into the holy of holies. So it's the holy place, and they would tie a cord around his ankle, and he would have bells on his clothing, and he would walk beyond that veil. And as long as they heard a jingle, jangle, jingle, things are good. But as soon as it goes, and it stops, guess what? He was not right with God. He had to make sure that his heart was pure and true and right when he went into that place. And if he dropped dead, that rope was to drag him out. And then guy who was number two, you're up. Oh. <laughs> Let me pray one more time before I go in, okay? One more time. I'm just making sure. Right? That's pretty severe. But this is who the high priest is. He is that guy. He's the representative, right? He is the mediator between God and men. And what is he doing on the Day of Atonement? He's taking the blood of a bull or a goat, and he's pouring it on that mercy seat on the top of the, of the, of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. And he's making an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all the people for one year. And then the next year, guess what? It comes again. And it comes again. So we see this picture with the high priest. And so here we are. He's that mediator. And so as we picture this for us, and how the death of the high priest is literally the way that the captive is set free. It is unmistakable when you recognize that the Bible identifies our high priest as the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our representative. As we saw in Second and 1 Timothy 2.5, that he is our, our mediator. But we see it voiced again in Hebrews chapter number 9. Listen to this. And I'm going to read a good section for you, but this is, this is awesome. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 28. It says, But Christ, being come... And high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle was God's mobile home on earth. It was established, and they would carry it from place to place. It was a tent. Then eventually what happened was they built the temple. This was the permanent one. This was one built by Solomon. It was torn down. It was built twice. And what we find is that was the dwelling place of God on the earth. What he's referencing, he says, he says there is a more perfect tabernacle. Notice the next wording. Not made with hands. 
That is to say, not of this building. Paul is saying, listen, when I say tabernacle, I'm not talking about that one in Jerusalem. I'm talking about the one that's in heaven. That one there is nothing but a model of the real one. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, notice this, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Not temporary, eternal. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, if this short term, well, boy, listen to this one, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit of offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. There's two testaments. There's the old and there's the new. Guess what? The New Testament does not become valid until the, de the testator dies. Right? If I, if I have a new will and testator, or, or if I have a, uh, a, a, what do you call it? Last will. I don't have a new will. A last will. <laughs> if I have a last will and testament, and I leave you my truck, and when service finishes up today, you drive off with my truck, I'm calling the cops. <laughs> I'm getting my truck back because it's, it's not valid until I'm dead. Right? Give me some time. Right? So the point is this. Well, look at this one. It says, so this is New Testament. So it says, for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, and that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, the Old Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Notice here. For where a testament is, there must be also of a necessity be the death of the testator. For a testator is of force. The only way that, only way that testament becomes effective after men are dead. Otherwise, it is, of no, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So the Old Testament is in effect all the way through while Jesus is alive. Guess what? Though you're reading the Gospels, you're still in the Old Testament. It is not until the death of the testator that the New Testament begins. Though our Bible calls it the New Testament, it is still Old Testament scriptures. Notice this. Whereupon neither the first testament, uh, da, 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 verse 18, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet, uh, scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath, hath enjoyed unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And this is an important principle. Listen to this. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Important principle. Verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns, when you see the word pattern or you see the word, um, the other one, figure. This is talking about a model, something that's a representation. Okay? It says, um, it, was, it was therefore necessary that the patterns, the earthly representation of things in the heavens, should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, not the earthly one, which are the figures or the representations of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor now he says, nor yet that he should offer himself often. So he's not going to go die a year after year after year as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. Otherwise, he'd be dying again and again and again. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many once. And unto them that look on him, 
shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So our freedom from the debt of our sins was made possible through the death of our high priest. It is a perfect direct correlation to the cities of refuge. Jesus died on the cross to set us free. Romans 6 verses 19 through 22 says this, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Verse 19, I spake after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. We all have the same infirmity, which is sin. He says, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, this is who we used to be, servants to our sin, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But verse 22, but now being made free from sin, praise God, and become servants to God, ye have fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. A picture of an old life made new. How awesome is God? Verse, no, I don't have a verse, sorry. Where uh, So where we no longer live to selfishly fulfill our desires, now we're given an opportunity to fulfill his. We're given a chance to start over, a chance to do it right, right? With the God's guidance, we can do this right. We can live this right, live life in a way that God would be pleasing to him, right? The Bible talks about us seeking righteousness. If we do it in our flesh, guess what? We will fail. All of our righteousnesses are pure filthy rags before the Lord because guess what? We're prideful. We're self-centered. But if we'll do things with the right heart, with God's love, right? As, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, it's about that charity, the love of God manifested through us. Boy, it's all about that. We can do it with, with God's help and bring us to our closing point, which is this. When the refuge had fulfilled its purpose, those who were its beneficiaries would have their slates wiped clean. Verse 6. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city, unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. So though guilty of taking a life, because these individuals have literally taken responsibility for their actions, they've submitted themselves to godly justice, guess what's happened? They have been redeemed. They have been justified. Justified is just, you could say it like this, just as if you'd never sinned. You've been made clean. Not because of who they were, not because of what they did, but because of God's grace, he created a way through the vehicle of the city of refuge that they could run to a picture of himself. Again and again and again, it's so clear where the guilty, can came, where the guilty came seeking refuge from their sin, but left having been justified. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter, Titus 3 through 8 says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish. Okay, so this is talking about the old life. We were foolish. Hello. Disobedient. Deceived. Serving diverse lusts, pleasures. Living in malice and envy. Hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. This is the grace of God to offer a refuge, a Savior. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And listen to verse number eight. This is a faithful saying, 
And these things I will that thou art, thou affirm constantly. I want you to constantly remind yourself of this, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Your life, the way you live, the choices you make, they're important. It's not, you don't live in a vacuum. Notice this, the next thing he says, these things are good and profitable unto men. The world is watching. And the way you choose to live, the more godly it is, the greater impact you have for the glory of God. There's nothing more profitable to this world than the gospel message of Christ. And our life is supposed to speak that message to the world. I'm almost done. Just like these men in the cities of refuge, when we come to God from a place of transparency and honesty, recognizing him as our refuge, listen, we will be received with open arms. We'll experience safety and rest. We'll witness justice fulfilled and we'll have our slate wiped clean. Praise the Lord. And notice this. But you see, the story doesn't stop there. But you'll notice is the fact that that doesn't, isn't not where it ends. It's not just when they leave, but they're supposed to go back to their community, right? They went back to their land. They went back to their families. They went back to the people that they knew. And they're to share the firsthand experience they had of the grace of God. Hey, Bill, I, I remember you killed that guy. What are you doing here? You know what? God put this system in place that could redeem me. And I don't stand before you today as someone guilty of that anymore. God's made a way. How beautiful that we can go back to our communities, who we used to be, right? There's people that I knew growing up that hated my guts because I did horrible things to them. But you know what? I can go back to those people, a redeemed man. I can make things right. I can rebuild those relationships, and they can see a difference in my life, and I can share the grace and love of God. And when someone sees a difference in you, it gives them hope that God could do something miraculous in their life too. And so, so many times we lose sight of why it is we're here. It's not about survival. It's about the mission. It's about impacting the world. Every single day, we've got to remind ourselves of that truth. Because again, it's about the impact that we get to have. And see, that's what God intends for us. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 15. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence. Listen to this part. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There are people that do not understand the Bible that will tell you that, hey, you know what that means? That's working out your salvation. That's works related. That's not at all what he's talking about. You know what he's saying is, now that you're saved, what are you going to do with it? Work out your own salvation. What's your salvation going to look like to your friends, to your family, to your community, to your coworkers? You work it out. Because listen to this. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's saying, listen, God's got a purpose for your life. He wants to work through you if you'll get out of your own way. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Remember what this is about. Don't complain that it's hard because guess what? Life is hard. But why not do it for the glory of God and have him on your side and have him walking with you through those darknesses, man? Verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, no reason for God to correct us, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, your community, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Hey, the whole story, as sordid as it may be and as broken as you may have come and the mistakes you may have made and the, and the interaction you had to have, the, the honesty you had to have at the gate and the, 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 the safety you received and the restoration you received and the provision you received and the work that God did in your life. And now after all that's been done, God says, now go back. 
Go back to the people that know you and tell them what it was I did. Man, share the story. God saved us and allowed us to experience his grace so that he could use us. It's why this church is here. It's why you're here. And because outside of these walls, I can promise you there are broken people that desperately, desperately need to know that not only does our God have the power, but the heart to take their old life and make it new. What a testimony of the miraculous work of God. And I feel like today I am preaching, and most of you, I don't feel like this is landing at all. I pray that it is. I feel like I'm by myself, honestly. And I don't know if you're with me or not, but I'm just telling you, what God has for us to hear, we need to take it to heart. Because what most of us do is we sit and we go, yeah, that was good, that was good, that was good, that was good. We walk out of the door and it doesn't make a bit of difference. We're exactly as we were the week before. And I can preach my guts out. I could cry and scream and do all those things. And you can walk out of these doors. And you know what? I can't control what we do. I can control what you do. I'm not there to watch you. I'm not there to encourage you. But Jesus is walking with us. And guess what? He has an expectation of us. Will we be so focused on ourselves that we lose sight of why it is we're here? And one day stand before the Lord and say, you know what? I didn't know. And he's going to say, ah, oh, you knew. Pastor Dave poured his heart out week after week after week after week after week. The problem was you didn't have ears to hear. So I'm begging you, have ears to hear. If you didn't hear it today, go back and listen to it. Do your questions. Those questions are important. You know what they do? They help to sink it into your brain. They cause you to think beyond just the moment. We're lazy by nature. All of us are. But I'm telling you, hey, listen, go a little step outside. Push yourself to be more because you will not be sorry if you invest in the things of God. But can I tell you, if you invest in the things of the world, you will be sorry. Because so much of the effort and energy we put into things that do not matter, when you stand before the Lord, he'll say, why did that seem so important to you at the time? It wasn't in my word. It didn't help the kingdom of God. It didn't do anything but build you up. And that you were the problem the whole time. I can tell you, the biggest problem in my Christian life, me. I'm the biggest obstacle. It isn't the devil. It isn't anything else. It's not society. It's not TikTok. It's not whatever else is out there. It's me. Because guess what? I can submit myself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from me. Or I can give place to the devil and watch him destroy my life. It's on us. So I didn't mean to attack you. Sorry about that. But sometimes we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the truths that you've revealed to us. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible picture in these cities of refuge. Man, it is amazing. So look at how it literally parallels so perfectly who you are. And Lord, the purpose that you have is to redeem and to restore those that are broken. God, those of us that are children of God, we know you. Oh God, you've done that for us. And Lord, help us to live our lives as if we're grateful for it. And if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know necessarily where I stand. Maybe you're that broken one standing outside of the gate and you're ready to plead your case. Can I promise you that the Lord is waiting with open arms to receive you? He wants to bring you into a place of rest. He wants to bring you to a place of healing. He wants to take you from brokenness and make you whole. That's the purpose. That's why he went to the cross. 
And so if you're here today and you do not know where you stand with God, you may believe he exists and that's wonderful, but can I promise you this? If you do not personally know him because you've never actually established a relationship with Christ, well, you're lost and on your way to hell. And we don't want that for you. Christ died so that you might know him personally. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ personally, this is for you. There's no magic prayer. There's no ceremony. It's just nothing more than a broken heart calling out to a loving God. If you're listening to this recorded right now, in your headphones, man, may God grip your heart. Because all it takes is a surrender. And if he's calling you and you feel that draw, all you have to do is surrender. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. There's no magic, as I said, in the Word. It's not the words God's listening to. Remember, God looks at the heart. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Him as your Savior. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I now understand that it's caused me to be separated from you. I believe in you. And now I understand that you love me in spite of myself. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and Lord, to give me a home in heaven, not because I deserve it, but because of your grace. God, thank you for loving me in spite of myself. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. It's still bad. I still closed. Listen, if you're here today, maybe you've been here a bunch of times. And you say, listen, today I, I truly trusted the Lord. I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. If that was you, I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand real quick and then put it right back down. No one's looking around at all. It's just me because I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. If you did it online, please reach out to us. We want to pray for you. Father, thank you for this gift, the gift of life. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your messages that you've given us through the book of Joshua. And Lord, I do pray that you help us not to be just hearers. Lord, please, I beg you that we not be just hearers of your word, but Lord, help us please to be doers, that our lives would make an eternal difference. We wouldn't waste the gift given to us of a breath and strength and a voice, but Lord, we'd use every piece for your glory. God, we praise you. We thank you. We ask you, God, now to guide us and use us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take just a minute. It's an opportunity for you to talk to God one-on-one. You can stay in your seat. You can come up here up front, whatever you choose to do. And Brother Eric's going to come and close us out, okay?
All right. Thank you all for coming this morning. I am assuming that the silence was just uh, concentration where you're just listening. Uh, but I know a lot of times is, you know, maybe we weren't we aren't doing what we're doing. And a parent gets honest. We don't we just are maybe a little quiet and don't respond. So I, I'll tell you, you know, I did take a lot of that to heart. You know, I, I know. And I was thinking about this, you know, when we run to that place of refuge, we don't run to that place of refuge and hide and stay in that place of refuge. Our, our Christian life does not end in our salvation our baptism our christian life begins it's our time to go out and witness to the world and to be a light and to be a shining example of what christ wants us to be and i'll tell you what there's a lot of churches that you'll come in they'll preach you feel saved you feel comfortable you go home you write your tie check they don't care you know and i love having a pastor that cares enough about me to say this is what we should be doing it might not be comfortable it might not be something that you wake up every day going oh this is natural but he is going to push us and i appreciate that and i know that anything and everything that he's preaching from this pulpit is biblical if you out take the bible take your time go go to it yourself i promise you you know it is biblical so pastor i appreciate it you know I, I, you look you know like a, a brother in christ I, I want you to sharpen me you know iron sharpeneth iron uh, i know that we stand together you know for the cause of christ and if, if any of us has fallen short please you know we want to support each other we want to encourage each other and love each other so uh, i will pray for you you pray for me Let's send you out of here. Heavenly Father, just we love you and we thank you. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that we do take time today to prioritize you. Lord, what are we putting ahead of you in our lives? I pray that we would take time today. And Lord, that we would not just come Sunday morning, not just come Wednesday night, but prioritize you in anything and everything you would do in our lives. And Lord, that we live for the glory uh, to be shine to you and you alone. I thank you and I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.